Before we jump into this conversation, just a quick word of thanks to the good folks over at the Quilting Nook. Without your support and encouragement, projects like this wouldn't be possible. You're listening to Seamside, where we explore the inner work of textiles. I'm your host, Zach Foster, and each episode I sit down and sew with a different artist, and we talk about what working with cloth has taught us about being human. I hope you enjoy. So I get this message one day. It says, Zach, you bury quilts and I bury books. We should talk. Little did Emma Freeman know that I was looking for a conversation partner that you're about to hear in the first ever episode of Seam Side. We go and talk about everything from deep ecology to the intersection of Zen Buddhism and creativity. She even brings up the Tibetan tradition of terma or burying sacred objects in the ground for future generations. So listen, I hope you get something out of this, and I'll be back at the end with a few more words. Emma, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Why don't you, before we jump in and, and we learn a little more about your practice and how you approach things, paint the picture for us. Where are you right now? What's, what's going on in your world? I am in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin which is right between Madison and Milwaukee, straight in the middle, small town. Um, I live um, in the house that I grew up in. So I moved back here. I used to live in Minneapolis area. Um, I moved back here at the beginning of the pandemic. So I'm here in a wooded, very nature centered place. It's very quiet. and uh, kind of the polar opposite. I was in city life for a long time. So I'm still adjusting to that, which feels good. Um, and yeah, that's, I guess, that's where I am in the world. <laughs> well, I want to hear more about what it's like to live in the home you grew up in, but I have a feeling that'll come up throughout our conversation, right? At certain points. Um, I imagine also that you have brought something to sew on today. Yes. What are you sewing on? So I'm working on this, uh, what I call these, um, a contemplation cloth. It's, I've made a, um, a few of these now. So this is um, a piece of uh, mud cloth from Molly that, um, but it's pre-dyed with the mud. So it's before, so it's all hand woven, but it's before it was dyed with the mud. So it's just white. And I'm adding stitches with uh, Japanese embroidery thread. And my vision is to use these pan- existing panels and switch the pattern back and forth. So then once it's done, it'll either be for my bed or for the wall. We'll see. Um, yeah, that's what I'm looking at. And the contemplation aspect, I imagine, comes in from the rows of meditative stitches I see going back and forth parallel with each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I really discovered that um, I love that rhythm because it really helps me clear out what's going on inside of me and um, and kind of go to a deeper place than I can when I'm working on something more conceptual because then my logical mind is taking over. Um, so this has become a really healing uh, practice making these. And I love that they take a long time too. So I can really just ease in, go deep with it. There's, um, they usually take me a few months to complete. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. When you're working on a project that 
you have to consistently pause to make decisions about. It can be engaging, but can also be something that maybe takes you out of that, the more meditative aspect of the practice. Right. Yeah. Neither is better or worse, but yeah, very different. What are you working on over there? I am making a little tiny quilt because I'm just, I'm obsessed with them. I like the idea of a project that uh, you can complete in one sitting, right? And so this is just a scrap of vintage kimono silk. And I've got a few cottons from repurposed shirts I'm working with. And I'm working in a color palette of all shades of pink, which is not my go-to color palette, but I'm feeling pretty cute about it right now. So that's what I'm doing. Great. Now, this is the first time that you and I have really chatted. We've done some chatting back and forth online and stuff, but this is the first time we're sitting face to face. And I think one thing that is significant is just how this conversation came about. Because you reached out to me after hearing a recent podcast where I was talking about uh, burial quilts and burial practices. And you said, I think we should talk. We have a bunch in common. We have a bunch of overlap. And what you didn't know when you wrote me is that on my to-do list that day was to find the first person I was going to talk to for this seam side project. So I'm like, sometimes the universe is just a crazy place to live in. And I just want to say, I appreciate you living in that crazy universe with me. <laughs> I'd love it. Yeah. So let's dive in. Let's, let's talk about where, where you find your inspiration when you're sitting down with fabric, when you're working on a project. I know that you work in various media, not just fabric, right? But where do you find your inspiration? Um, Lately, it's been um, through uh, a lot of Buddhist teachings. I've been reading a lot of uh, books and listening to podcasts about um, different aspects of Buddhism. And I find so many beautiful connections to the practice of slow stitching and working with fibers and connecting with nature um, that feel uh, so I'll, I'll spend time reading often in the morning and then I'll kind of dance back and forth between a piece that I'm working on. And while I do that, you know, while I'm stitching or weaving, I'm kind of, my mind is kind of playing with what I've read. And, um, and I find these just beautiful, soft, um, like conversations are happening between what I'm learning and the materials. Um, so that's been really beautiful. Um, and I'm also really inspired by, I've been learning about deep ecology, which is a new world to me too. That's a spiritual, do you know about deep ecology? You heard? Not at, I've, I've heard the term, but I couldn't tell you what it means. Yeah. It's, um, it's really fascinating. It's, um, from what I know about it, it's a philosophy, spiritual philosophy that, um, is all about helping us as humans return to our, our ecological self or our, our place in nature that we're really animals, but we're so disconnected from that and how, how um, deeply transformative and meaningful that can be to feel that in our bodies and then move through the world in that way, rather than having it just be logical, like, Oh, I should do these things to protect the planet. Um, It, it centers it more in our experience as creatures like how our bodies are connected to the air and the other animals and the trees and it's really really um fascinating and beautiful well what you know what's making me listen to you makes me think that a lot of what i've been reading in joseph campbell recently about his belief on the nature of myths and where myths come from myth not necessarily being like fiction 
right? But myth just being a poetic explanation for reality, right? A symbolic explanation. Um, and, and, and Campbell's view is that the human psych psyche is made up of certain traits that are inherited. We inherited certain blocks of our psyche just passed down through the DNA of our ancestors, right? And so for the hundreds of thousands of years that humans were hunter-gatherers, we established in our own psychology certain symbols and certain archetypes that our great-grandparents and grandparents, et cetera, have passed down to us. So even though we're living in this modern age where we use a completely different vocabulary, let's say about what we consider spiritual or how we connect to ourselves. Ultimately, Campbell says, we're just tapping into those old visions that go way back, dawn of humanity times, right? And I think there's a lot of connection there with deep ecology and how we fit in together. Yes. Ooh, I love that. I'm going to have to dig into that. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that is, I mean, in some circles it was a little bit controversial and other circles not, is that he says myths serve a purpose, even um, old religious myths, old religious stories. So things that people may not immediately connect with about traditional religion. He says that religion took off for a reason. It serves a particular need for the human psyche. And if you dig deeper, there's something meaningful there. So he says we shouldn't throw out traditional religion because of that, but we should. Mm think deeply about it. Yeah. Um, think about what it can mean to us today. I love that. I love that invitation to take, to go deeper with it and not mm -hmm. just write it off or, you know, find another doorway into maybe a connection to it in a new way. Yeah. Hmm, like well, why that. Buddhism? I don't know. It just, well, uh, so my first creative life was as a photographer. I did that for almost 20 years. And I worked for a photographer back in the day who um, had deep roots in Buddhism and connected his photography practice to Buddhist practices. And that was my first exposure to it. And at the time, I was really curious about it, but it didn't resonate with me personally. I found it fascinating, but I, I hadn't found my personal connection to it. So then off I went, that was many years ago. And then during the pandemic, when um, my life just kind of blew up at the beginning of the pandemic in a lot of ways, and I was in a really deep space of grief and overwhelm. And I happened to stumble on one of the books that this photographer wrote that I had. It was about Zen Buddhism and creativity. And it just spoke right to me in a way that uh, it resonated. And I kept from there just digging deeper and finding different people who were talking about the intersection of, um, in particular, Zen Buddhism with creativity and how, um, how helpful a lot of the principles can be, like being present in the moment and not knowing what's going to happen and entering the unknown as a gift, all of these things that I was discovering in my art practice were naturally happening. And then to find those connections within the Buddhist texts, like, oh, it felt like it just, and it still feels like it's just giving me these deeper roots to connect to with other people in the world. And yeah. It's amazing how the things, how things like that messages come about when we need them. Yeah. Just the right time. I'm struck by the fact that it's, um, 
not just any Buddhism that has drawn you, but Zen Buddhism, which we think of as um, at least visually very, a very plain sort of Buddhism, right? Like a Zen Buddhist temple is very unadorned, very pared down. And that's not something that we would, when you said creativity, my mind hadn't necessarily connected the two of those. Wow, interesting. Yeah, it really is um, what I'm learning. It's so much about the essence of something. So really paring things down to the simplest form and allowing that to speak. Lots of breathing room and spaciousness. So not the clutter or really shiny things, you know, really letting things be earthy. And um, and I used to have a style that was much more those things, <laughs> much more cluttered. and. Um, and I've been, I think because of the interstate that I've been in, I've been craving clearing things out, like needing space, needing breathing room. And visually, I've been drawn to things that have that. So it's always fascinating to me how those mirrors happen without consciously realizing it. I was just drawn to these things that I ended up needing without really knowing it until I got a little farther down the road. Well, that's, that's why we try to stay open to the process, isn't it? Yeah. So what does breathing room look like in your work these days? Um, so visually it looks like, I mean, I do a lot. Of, so I make these fabric meditation books. They're one of the main things I work on right now. And this is an example of one. So for me, breathing room feels like this. So there's very, like, there's not a lot going on, but each element feels like for me, it's really important and it, um, it's very, it's also very quiet. And for me, like the spaciousness also means that I can go deep with the elements that are there. Like there aren't so many things pulling at my attention. So the ones that are, I can really spend time with them. So like this material, this is vintage mosquito netting from Japan that was hand woven and hand dyed with indigo. And I love the story behind it. There's just these layers and layers of history and human connection. And then this is a meditation bead from Tibet that has a whole story and history. And um, there's just like, there's a quietness that I'm really drawn to with spaciousness. And this book, I mean, it's really, also it's that like, I'm more and more drawn to things that you have to do that. Like you have to lean in, like there's an intimacy and like almost things can go unnoticed if you don't spend that slow time with it. So yeah, that's what's all connected for me with spaciousness and breathing room. So you're calling that a book. And for folks that are listening to us right now and don't have the, the benefit of the visual, I'm going to say that doesn't look like any book I've ever seen. <laughs> so how did you describe what you just held up for us? And can you give us, um, how, how did you come to the term book for what you've created? Uh, so how, so this is a fold out book, I would say. Um, so it, for people who can't see it, it's a long strip of this blue fabric and it has two flaps. So there's a flap that folds over that you can lift up and open that has a meditation bead attached to it. So that opens first. And then there's a second flap that opens down. And then within the middle of it, there's another little panel. So for me, it feels like a book because there are these multiple like pages to interact with um, it's just kind of a non-traditional form and I had started out I've made a lot of these meditation books that are this format more of like a traditional book 
that have single pages that you open one at a time, spend time with them. And I've made enough of these. I was getting a little bored and I felt like, oh, I just started playing with the material and thought, what other structures could I do? And I'd done a few scroll ones that roll up and then you roll it all the way out to experience the book, which I really love. And then this one, this was just a scrap that was sitting on my table and it happened to be folded like this. And I thought, oh, that looks like a book. So then I started going with it. So it all happens very intuitively for me. And so when you're reading one of your books, Emma, what are you reading? I think for me, it's the, it's um very, uh, it's that intuitive space. It's like feeling deeply into the, the things that can't quite be put into words, the energy of the materials and the energy of the creative, my creative process, my emotions everything that for me, it just feels like that's all kind of swirling around and it pulls me in. It's really essential for me to work with materials that have some kind of history to them. Cause that's when I really feel that like, Oh, I need to come in and spend time with it. And then they start to take on another life. Once they've been, once they've emerged, they feel like meditative pieces for me. Like I go back and spend time with them. And it feels like like my meditation practice feels like they're very connected. So I spend time, you know, like this one, like I'll go back and just look at the rhythms of the stitches and find that that really soothes me and calms me. And so it becomes a tool for the practice. Are you using them in some kind of, so it sounds like you, you come back, you pick up a book and in that moment you're, you're informally already reconnecting with that kind of meditative mindset that you're in when you were making the book but are you using them in a more formal way after you make them as a meditation aid or is it more a touchstone to come uh, back to in a, yeah, in a good casual question. um it's more informal it's more like because now i have probably 40 of these books um they will like sometimes like right now i've got probably five sitting on my table with me and i'll leave them to sit with me sometimes with a certain page open for a number of days and I'll run my fingers over them just while I'm sitting here doing staring out the window. And often when I do that, they just kind of, they feel like friends, like they're, or teachers, they're just kind of sitting like whispering to me sometimes. And sometimes something will catch my eye, you know, when I'm doing something else, like, Oh, right. Oh, that's interesting. Or it'll pull me back in, in a new way. And then sometimes I'll put them away. Like, so I can't see them anywhere and then pull one out every once in a while. And learn something new or do oftentimes I'll pull stitches out down the road and add something else too. You'll even bury some books, but let's circle back to that in a minute, because what I'm curious to know is while we're on the topic, what is it, what do you think it is about cloth fabric textiles that you connect with as a medium that you, in a way that you don't feel you connect with other aspects of Let's say poetry writing, other like things that you're engaged I've in. I've always had a relationship to textiles, and I didn't realize that until recently. But I remember as a kid having very strong opinions about fabric, like colors and patterns. I would put together these funky outfits that no one else would wear. And um, I can see, like, oh, right, I've had this connection to cloth and fabric forever. Um, but now it feels like in my current practice, I... I love how intimate it is, that it's soft, that it's physically something that 
I mean, literally the thing I'm working on is wrapped around my body. And I, I love that. And I love the, the more that I learn about these fibers and the people who have created them and used them around the world, I find so much meaning and connection. It makes me feel less alone and it makes me feel really connected to these traditions that are so deep and that I didn't have a connection to really before two years ago. Um, and that feels kind of endless. Like it, the, the ways to, to find meaning within that. Um, and there's so many subtleties that I'm learning about. I mean, things like that mosquito netting that I held up, like the way that it's structured and died. There's just so many little like tunnels for my mind to go into that I love about textiles. So yeah, that's a little bit, I guess. No, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think there's something really beautiful to think about. What I'm hearing you say is that you love the intimacy of, of textiles, but also almost the universality of it, the the global nature of it and how it does connect so yeah, much. Yeah, and we're so all, like, I read, uh, there's some great, I, I can't remember, I read this in a book somewhere, but the author talked about how we we're all connected to cloth every day. We're wrapped in it. We sleep in it. We have such an intimate connection to fabric, everybody. And I hadn't thought of it that way before she articulated that and thought, oh, right, duh, of course we do. But it's, um, you know, whether or not people are doing something that they would say is creative with it, we all still have a relationship with it. And I think that's really interesting to ponder and talk about. That's right, because not everybody has a relationship with charcoal pencils or oil paints, but we right. do all, most of us, wear clothes. Now, I got, a, I got a pragmatic question for you before we go on to your burial books, and that is, so you got vintage Japanese mosquito netting? A deep internet dive. Kind of I love to spend lots of time on Etsy and I just dig and dig and dig. And I happened to see, I don't know how it came up in something. And, um, and once I, I think I read the term, it's called Kaya, K-A-Y-A. And then I started researching what it was and then was able to find a few pieces. There's not a lot of it out there. This is another one. This is the same material, but woven it's, so this one is cotton and this one is hemp. So I've learned like there's different um, versions of it, but yeah, that's the thing. I love the hunt for it too, because they're rare and they're difficult to find. So that makes it really fun to find something like, ooh, a treasure. I remember recently in the last year, I was deconstructing a vintage um, Japanese boro garment, some kind of a, a cope, an upper garment. And when I was unstitching the seams there were all these little metallic flecks buried into the seams i'm like what is that i thought maybe it was like mica or something from you know the the farmers that were working the land and so i post this picture online and i'm like does anybody know what this could be and several people wrote back saying they look like um lice <laughs> and lice eggs and i was like oh that makes a lot of sense have you run across anything like that and working with these vintage fabrics that you're That's like really oh, uh, how'd that get in there? Funny. interesting no but now i'm gonna start looking <laughs> <laughs> well it's really fun when you're hanging out with your family or even better you're hanging out with the in-laws and you're just having a good time and you're like 
hey, aunt, so-and-so, guess where this fabric came from? And then you realize not everybody is at ease yeah. with sourcing fabric as you are. She's like, oh, you didn't tell me you brought lice into my house? I'm like, they're 100 years old. They're dead. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the ties that bond us, Emma. You and me both got something in common, and that is we're interested in the act and the idea of burial. And for me, that takes the approach of making burial quilts, right? And trying to get people to think in ways that are forward-looking and death-positive to the one thing we all know is going to happen to us eventually, right? You make books and bury them in your yard for 30 days. I've never heard of this. And the second you said that, I'm like, this is a person I need to talk to. So would you yes, please tell me more um, about that? I've been so yeah, curious. I, when I learned about your burial quotes, I was like, no way. This is such a cool connection. Um, so I, let's see. Um, so I've been making these fabric meditation books for uh, about a year and hadn't buried any of them. So they were, you know, as they were just stitching in various scraps. And then one day I was sitting here at my art table and the idea came, this sort of whisper that said, bury it. That's how it sounded. I was like, bury it, bury it. Interesting. Hmm. I kind of played with it in my mind. I was like, what? what okay. And, uh, and then I, I didn't bury it quite then, but I went to a bookstore within the next week of that happening. And I opened up this, book that was a it's the tibetan book of the dead is spiritual buddhist book and happened to flip to a page that was talking about this thing i'd never heard of called earth terma where it's this ancient practice where people bury spiritual treasures in the ground in the himalayas for future people to find and it blew my mind i was like well i immediately felt a connection to what i had thought about with the books or heard and I came home and was like, okay, I have to do this. So then I um, took two books and buried those together first. And 30 days just popped in my mind, so I went with it. I wanted it to be long enough that they would simmer down there. I didn't want it to be like two days. So and you're not like having these in plastic or anything. You are sticking them as is in the dirt. Yep. Yeah, good question. Yeah, as is. Yep. Um, so I just walked out, I live, there's a wooded area around our house and just found a little spot and dug a hole, probably six inches deep, maybe, and set them in there, kind of said goodbye to them and then covered them in dirt and made sure I marked a spot with a rock that was important. So I would remember where they were. Um, and then while they were down there, it was really wonderful. I found that I was like, I, my curiosity really opened. Like I wondered what was going on down there. What creatures were crawling across it? Where was rain seeping down through the pages? And um, it really felt also like this um, invitation to let go and like collaborate with the earth as a creator. As a so it wasn't just me creating this thing anymore. I really there was something about that that I really loved. And then. On the 30th day, I went out. It was pouring rain. And uh, I decided to go outside without uh, an umbrella and go barefoot because I thought, God, I haven't done that maybe since ever. I don't know, since I was a kid. And went outside and, and unearthed them. And it was so emotional. I started crying and felt really felt like I was reconnecting or remembering a connection 
that I, in my body to the, to the earth. And I dug them up and they were covered in mud and I kind of brushed them off. And then I was going to bring them inside to wash them in the sink. And then I thought, no, what else can I do? And I saw this puddle in the grass under this willow tree. And I thought, oh, I'm going to wash them over there. So I walked over there and barefoot and the, the grass is really long and soft on my feet. And I just bent over and washed them and brought them inside. And uh, it was so beautiful. The whole experience that I had never made anything creatively like that, that had such a layered experience within it. So yeah, now I'm hooked. <laughs> so how have your, how do your books change in 30 days underground? So they, um, uh, well, one of the things that I, that I do to them before they go under is weather the pages between rocks. So I'll take them outside and just, um, like scrub them against rocks to get the fibers to pull apart and, and kind of, um, like weather and distress. I really like that texture. So then when they're in the ground, like this one, you can see these darker marks. So all of that came from being underground. So this was a really clean linen before. Um, so it definitely adds marks to all the pages. Also some holes, new holes emerge, some creatures will chomped on the pages. And the texture totally changes. It gets much stiffer. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. There's a lot of subtleties. It's not very dramatic. Um, and I found with one of them, like this book had come up out of the ground and had all white stitching. And once I got it out of the ground, I really loved the subtle brown marks. So then I decided to pull the white stitches out and add brown stitching. So it's like going back and forth with what had happened while it was under so we'll talk about collaborating with nature yeah going Love back it. that way yeah uh have you thought about other durations of time 60 days six months a year i have you know i read a book there's this great book called fragmentation and repair that i just read by shelly rhodes do you know that book mm. oh it's very cool she's a textile artist in the uk uh and she talks about bearing fabric too, which is really cool. And one of the things she mentioned was that like she did an experiment for up to a year, I think. And for her, they completely disappeared. So it's interesting. Eventually they'll, the mycelium will probably like decompose it if it's natural fibers. So I do want to play with that because I want to see what happens if it almost completely disappears. So I think at next I'm now the ground is frozen here. So in the spring, I think I'm going to try 60 days and see what happens and then go from there. I am thrilled about that experiment. So please keep Thank me you. posted. Oh, so I will. What is, what is something, what is, so this is the first time you buried something in the ground. What is it showing you? What are you, what are you taking away? What larger kind of understandings about life, about making, about nature, about being human, go in any direction you want to with that. Are you taking away from your work being buried underground? I found, I've been realizing that there's a, a connection to the inner work that I've been doing, um, that I've been over the last few years, but in particular in the last couple of years, um, I've been unearthing a lot of stuff within myself. And 
looking at it and healing it and really been, it's been really overwhelming and really hard, but also transformative in really powerful ways. And I've realized that there's been like the idea, there's been so much that was buried inside of me that I didn't see and didn't even realize was there. And then when it bubbled up to the surface, I had to look at it and feel it. And that was, came with all kinds of layers. And I realized after sitting with these buried books for a while, that there was a connection there, which was fascinating to me because I didn't consciously think I'm going to make books about this inner experience. It just naturally was happening. So I'm, I'm really, you know, that I'm learning that from, from the books and the experience, but it's also very much, it feels like an invitation for me to keep going deeper into the relationship with the earth and that that sense of collaboration and letting go of control of the whole creative process and taking that even farther and seeing what happens. I think a lot of people could get behind the idea of a deeper connection with the earth. That sounds nice. That's like, yeah, we want that. But the idea of um, kind of personal excavation can be a little scary, right? The, the idea of bringing things up intentionally and unintentionally in order to deal with them is not work one enters into lightly. Right. Yeah. What would you say to yeah. somebody who's like, I get you with the connection with the earth stuff, but why should I want to look up under the surface like that? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I went kicking and screaming at first into that. I didn't want to either because uh, it was really hard. But for me, like, for me, I reached a point where there were things happening in my life that were leading to me suffering and people around me suffering. And so there were things that I couldn't ignore anymore. And things that were being brought to my attention that I was doing that I didn't realize I was doing. So I I reached a breaking point where I had, I felt like I had to do it. Um, and so I would say for anyone else, if, if there's anything that feels like it keeps coming up, it's like that there's something, there's some message, there's some feedback, there's something that keeps, maybe it's a painful situation that happened in the past that doesn't feel fully healed. Um I completely understand the desire to like not really shut and lock that door because it's really hard. But what I've learned through the process is that by going through that door and having tools and um, ways to navigate that, it is um, the most powerful self transformation because it's releasing those things that are stuck that are actually keeping for me, they were keeping me from being my true self and being able to access the deeper parts of my sensitivity and who I am, who I didn't even realize I was until I went on that journey. That feels like a little gift you just gave us, Emma. Thank you for that. Just this idea that it is tough, but is worth it. And, and here's, here's one way through it. When you, when you bear your books, are you bearing them with a particular intention or question, or is it more an openness? Hmm. It's more an openness and a curiosity. Like, let's see what happens. Um, and a releasing, it feels like I'm consciously like letting it go. Um, yeah, that's how it feels. It feels soft, I guess. Yeah. Because I could see it being an interesting practice as well, a supplement to have, you know, sometimes we do this thing, Krista Tippett likes to talk about, 
Actually, I think she's quoting Rilke when she says that she lives with the questions. We live with so many questions in life, right? Yes. And so what if we incorporated the project, the idea of what was the Buddhist term for it? The term you ran across in the book, the Terra? Uh, terma. Terma? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what if we incorporate the idea of Terma with the questions that we're living with and just say, you know what? I'm going to give myself 30 days or whatever it is to live with this question. And I'm going to let the magic underground happen. And then I'm not going to stress about it for 30 days. And I'm going to come back to that question a month from now and see how I'm feeling about it. That could be a really powerful practice. Ooh, I love that. Yes. And it could also be, I could imagine taking that question almost like in the opposite way and saying, okay, I'm going to consciously spend deep. I'm going to go deep with this question for a month. I'm going to journal. I'm going to bring it into consciously like play with it and explore it and see, talk about art therapy. That's, that's incredible. I love that. Thank you. I I think this is a brilliant idea. I think we should all be doing this. <laughs> I mean, there is so much, there, there is something about fabric and it, it has to do with the intimacy that you mentioned, the softness that you mentioned that makes tackling, at least in my experience, and I, and I think in your experience as well, it makes tackling the bigger, harder questions a little easier. It feels like we're somehow supported in the process by working with fabric. Yeah, it's, yeah, well said. That's it's really magical in that way, the way that it supports emotionally. Yeah. And I'm finding this also true in working with mandalas with people. I've been doing that quite a bit in the last few months. And there's something about, you know, we, we, we draw a mandala and we share it with, with the circle. We share it with the small group and we got the mandala up on the screen. And people can say some real, people can become very vulnerable saying things they probably would never feel comfortable saying otherwise because they're not immediately talking about themselves. What they're doing is describing this drawing that they made. But of course, what they're ultimately doing is talking about themselves. But it's like the mandala gives them permission and the language to talk about these questions that are swirling around them, these doubts that they have, these fears that they have, these concerns that they have. And I I, I see that same power present in the things that we make out of fabric and textiles that it gives us a chance to put the intangible things floating through our mind out into something physical in a way that's soft, in a way that's comforting and just creates that space for us to explore a little bit. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Wow. Yes. Yeah. That mandala stuff has been powerful, but that's, that's a conversation for another day. There's so much that we could talk about. We have talked about living the questions. What are some questions that you do bring to your fabric? So I know you say your books are kind of open-ended ideas of just being open to the universe, but sometimes we do bring specific quandaries to our, to our projects. Can you think of any questions that you've asked recently of, of your fabric? I ask a lot of questions internally. I've realized questioning is a big part of my life. I have a degree in philosophy, so that makes sense. Um, (laughs) uh, Well, with the materials, I really like to ponder the questions about, like, with these Indian Cantha quilts, these vintage remnants that I've been working with lately, those I find I'm asking questions or, like, listening for answers about, or maybe even listening for questions 
about what their stories are, like where they might have, you know, who were the people who wore these clothes and what were their lives like? And the people who, the women who laid them out on floors and stitched them and the story of the the life of the fabric. I, I really love to like to play with those questions a lot. Um, so those those happen really like the, the people involved in the making of the fabric, the wearing of it, the history of it, and their connection to the earth too. Like, Oh, I find like, I really like to ponder questions about where, like with a mosquito netting, like, okay, what was the field like that that cotton grew in? And who were the people who harvested that in the really harsh conditions in Northern Japan? And how long did it take them to weave it? And all those sorts of questions. And then I find I also, kind of simultaneously will be asking inner questions. So things that I'm struggling with or um, paying attention to like my mind reel and um, watching it and starting to question the automatic cycles that my mind goes through, like, and bringing like kind of a spotlight on those while I'm stitching or working. So lots of questions. And I realized to you what you just said that i am often bringing my questions to the fabric but i love that you started with listening for answers i believe is how you phrased it but then you switched it and said no i'm listening for questions and i think that um orientation to the process is really lovely like this when you're listening for an answer you've got something very specific you're willing to receive but when you're listening for a question your window's wide open to whatever may come yeah i love that i love that image of the of the window too yeah that's what it feels i had a recently so when i when i made my mandala quilt recently i one of the the main fabrics i used it was this it was the, the cobalt blue for folks who know that mandala quilt that i made this cobalt blue quilt in the background came from a bunch of linen placemats and napkins I'd found at a thrift store that were made in India and they were machine sewn, but they had a perimeter stitch that was all done by hand. And so similar to you, I found myself very much thinking about that stitch for me, took it out of it being an object, a material thing, and it being, becoming what it really is, which is a moment in which a real life person somewhere on this planet interacted with material and made this right. So it, it became not a thing that was bought off of a shelf in a store, but it became something that someone like me somewhere made with their time and their, their own hands. And so I left those hand sewn stitches in there, just like as a, a veneration, a placeholder, a memorial for that person, unknown to me, but a real life person somewhere. Because it's so easy for store-bought objects to feel anonymous and mass-produced. And these placemats definitely were mass-produced, no doubt about it. But they were touched by human hands. And I, I think keeping that idea front and center was really helpful for me in that process. Oh, that's beautiful. I have goosebumps. I love that. So if those are the questions you ask, it's assuming, if those are the questions you're listening for, it's assuming a certain wisdom inherent in working with textiles. If you could 
take the pieces that you make, these books and these contemplation cloths and things that you do, if you could take them and infuse them with some kind of spiritual superpower, what wish would you have for the things that you make as they either stay in your life or go on to be with somebody else? The reason I love this question is because I feel like they're already infused with spiritual power. That, um, But I, I feel like maybe there is a lot of opportunity for more people to connect to that. And because we live in this culture that has excess of, there's so much fabric and it's constantly being produced and thrown away. And like that relationship is starting to change for a lot of us. And we're connecting more to the stories behind it. And, you know, um, and I, I love that. And I think, I think that's why I'm drawn to these materials that are, that have so much time and care within them because it's such a contrast to what I've absorbed um, in this culture. And so, I mean, my hope would be for more people to, to connect to the power of textiles and how many layers of meaning there are within them and how personal they can be. So it really can, um, you know, so many people have, fabric from their lives from maybe a grandparent or something um but a lot of people i feel like don't even um maybe consciously have a connection yet creatively to textiles and there's so much possibility there for meaning making for deeper relationships with the people connected to those fabrics um so that would be my my hope and that's what i'm always i continue to to go deeper into myself You know what's a scary thought, Emma? Hmm. Is trying to imagine your life if you had never discovered textiles. We'd be naked, right? <laughs> well, I mean, yes, we would be. But in the personal expressive exploration sense, like, yeah. I, don't think of, like I don't want to go to that place, but like thinking just about how much appreciation I have for having discovered textiles as a medium, as a way hmm. of exploring the world, exploring the questions that I have. How would you say that working with textiles has changed you as a person? I feel like it continues to change me. It, it really, um, in this current chapter in my, my life, I, it, it keeps reminding me to slow way down. And the gifts of that and that by doing that and working with these very humble, simple tools, a needle and some thread and some cloth, that there are so many incredible gifts and messages and points of connection within that to all of our ancestors. All of us have someone back there that worked with fabric in some way. And um, there's just so there's so much to tune into. I keep learning and it's, uh, it's become this, it feels kind of endless really what, how I can change and evolve. And I hope it just keeps going deeper and deeper. And, um, and I love that it. It's an opportunity and a, it's like a bridge between you and me and like between people that's really beautiful and meaningful. 
And my God, one more question for you. And then if you want to, if you got anything else you want to talk about, I'm all ears. But that would be, it, if someone was interested in exploring textiles as a spiritual practice, as a way of infusing their own life with more meaning or their own work with more meaning, do you have a just one idea, one suggestion, one tip for how folks can begin to connect their work with their core, who they are as people? Uh, just one. Yeah, I love that question. I would say get really quiet. Like if you don't have a relationship with quiet, I think that's really important with silence of some kind because I find that that's where that's when I can go deeper. That's when I start to like make connections that I don't make otherwise when I'm full of the noise of the world. And, um, and I would say just invite questions, you know, start to ponder, maybe journal, like what is it that's going on inside of you right now? Or what do you hope to, what would you like to connect to more deeply? Is there a person or there, is there a Maybe there's a place and how, how might you start to very simply play with that? Maybe it's just pondering that while you stitch, while you make a quilt or you weave. Maybe just inviting that thing into your mind while you're working and see what happens. And see what happens. <laughs> that works for me. What would you say? I think for a long time, as a sensitive person, I saw sensitivity as mm, a debilitating energy. But I have come to learn that that is the artist's greatest gift, right? Because we can look at two things, two shades of color or two subtly different shapes, and we can perceive the difference. And there is a difference. It's a very real difference. So having the gift of being able to tap into that sensitivity to um, perceive those differences and those nuances, I think is a bit of a superpower. And so all of that's a long-winded way to say, make yourself happy and listen to those little messages that you're telling yourself. If, listen to the good ones. Don't listen to the other ones. They're not worth your time. Oh, I love, I wish I would have written down what you just said. It was so wise. Good thing we're recording. Yes. <laughs> well, I think to close this out, Emma, tell us how your, how your contemplation class come along. What have you, what have you done in the last hour? That we've oh, um, maybe three rows. I don't know. We're getting, we're going, we're inching along. Um, Oof. Yeah. And y'all, those stitches are close together. So three rows <laughs> is about 1% of the project. <laughs> yeah. How's yours? Yeah. Well, it's cute. Look at it. I'll post a picture, I guess, when I post this. But it's a cute little pink, tiny quilt. We'll put one more piece down here and then it'll be done. Yeah. Adorable. Emma, thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you. I loved it. If you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, I'm wondering if you'll rate and review this show so other people can find Seamside and learn more about the inner work of fabric. I'd really appreciate it. And you might also be interested in checking out the zine that I make after these conversations. I sit and ruminate and reflect about different things that came up. 
put them into this cute little printable foldable zine you can stick it in your back pocket and take it anywhere so there's a link for that in the show notes if you like and as always thank you for listening i appreciate your time you know we'll be sitting and sewing again before too long here on seam side take care sew something good <laughs>